So let me lead us in prayer now. Loving Father, thank you that you do speak to us. And we ask now that we would be hearing from you by your spirit about the great day when you will give us a sight into the new heavens and the new earth. So when we'll see the new Jerusalem, help us to be overwhelmed and captivated by this and find great joy from it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you ever dream about the future. Something that people often dream about is holidays. And another thing that people dream about related to holidays is travelling. Now, you may not have ever really wanted to travel much until someone says that you're not allowed to, and then you think, I really, really want to. But travel is one of those things that we dream about because it it seems... uh, that when, you, when you're able to get away and have a holiday and, and escape, it kind of gets you freedom from the dull and everyday and ordinary. And I know this because many, many years ago, I used to work in the travel industry. I worked for a company that sourced accommodation from overseas and, and tours and various things like that. And then we packaged them up into brochures and I sort of did the graphic design and stuff like that. And then we flicked it off to the different travel agents all around Australia, about three or 4,000 of them at the time. And then they would book them through us and all that kind of stuff. But what we tried to do was tap into the the deep longing of people to escape to a place of beauty and pleasure and excitement. And that's kind of the way that we wrote the brochures. You say, imagine this wonderful place to go and so forth. We offered people a way to escape the pain and the boredom of everyday life because we knew that everybody deep down, and maybe not that deep down, has dreams about the future. But in the midst of the idealism about the dream holiday, there's also a realism that it might turn into a nightmare. And that's where travel insurance comes in. If you ever want to pour dreams on your, uh, pour cold water down on your dreams of your wonderful holiday, then just have a little bit of a read of all the things that can go wrong on your dream holiday when you read through the travel insurance brochure. Uh, Loss of luggage, loss of limbs, loss of life. That's a bad holiday. And even though it's called the happiest place on earth, have you noticed that even Disneyland has first aid rooms? But all this talk of escaping the mundane for an overseas joyride is actually a little bit embarrassing compared to the plight of many others throughout the world. But maybe your dream for the future is something far more important. Some people dream about the future because their body is riddled with cancer. Or maybe because someone close to them is going through a messy divorce. Or maybe they can't get a job to escape the cycle of poverty. Or maybe they are old and frail and they're losing their minds. As we go through these times of distress, we dream for a better future. But there's something even worse than cancer or divorce or poverty or dementia. On the 11th of May, in Plateau State and Kaduna State in Nigeria, Africa, 11 people were killed in the village of Gonorogo. All they were doing was just travelling to their farms. And Fulani Islamists targeted those Christians and killed them. 
And in April, there were killings and abductions and house burnings. People are slaughtered just because they follow Jesus. And this is not something from 100 years ago. This is something from a few days ago. And their families and friends cry out to God for help. And together, they dream about a better future. Friends, as we've taken our bird's eye tour of the book of Revelation over these nine weeks, we see that the original readers of this letter were a lot more like the families and friends of those in Nigeria than perhaps we are here in Jamboree. This word from the Lord through his servant John was a word to those who had endured decades of painful persecution for their faith in Jesus. And as they endured the daily threat of death, they were graciously given this word of comfort here in the scriptures. Because more than anyone else, they have a dream for a better future. And this letter gave them real hope. Because it is about the victory of the real Jesus. That is why this is such a great letter. A whole lot of the letter is about the defeat of evil, in fact, through the cross of Christ, as we've seen. And we can see, like we did in the last section from chapter 17 to 20, Satan and his servants have been defeated. And they are moments away from eternal punishment in the lake of fire. As they read this, as we read this, we know that there is hope because Jesus has defeated evil. All that stands against Jesus and his children will be soon wiped from our memories. Everything that is evil will be no more. See, Easter Sunday shows us that evil and death is defeated. And it's only a matter of time before they disappear for good. Jesus has risen. And therefore, evil is defeated. But the mission of Jesus is more than just defeating evil. It's about replacing evil with the greatest good that you could ever dream about. And that's what we're going to see in these final two chapters before us today. In Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the whole Bible. And it begins with an arrival of a new reality. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. See, everything is gone from the old, and now something genuinely new has come. All who had stood against God have been sent with the devil to be forever tormented. And Babylon, that city that stood against God, is now destroyed. And in her place we see Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of our God, the holy city. It's a gift from God prepared as a beautiful bride for her church. And those who had been tormented on earth for following Christ are now presented to her husband. And this is followed by more great news. Verse 3. Then I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them 
and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God is among the people. God is among the people. It's just like the very first chapter of the book of John, where it said the word became flesh and lived among us. Emmanuel, God with us. We see it again here in chapter 21 of Revelation. Just like when Jesus walked on earth 2,000 years ago, we will again see his face. And when he does, we will experience the full fruit of his presence. Verse 4, listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. No more tears. No more death. And the grief and agony of persecution evaporates like tears in a handkerchief. It just seems too good to be true. It seems beyond our wildest dreams. But this is what life was always meant to be like. And this is what happens when we receive what is truly new. We see in verse 5, the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. This promise of a new reality is trustworthy and true. It's not a pipe dream, it's a real dream. And it's not a dream that's just made up, it's a dream about the most real reality of anywhere. And I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you really believe that this reality is coming to you if you trust in Jesus. I wonder if you really believe that the time is coming when you will be there and see Jesus face to face. Do you really believe there's a place where there will be no more death, where there will be no more pain? Do you really believe when he says, I promise you this will happen? Well, the Bible tells us tonight it is trustworthy and true. It's a real thing. And then in verse 6, we read from Jesus, he said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Basically, mission accomplished. Victory has happened. And Jesus identifies himself as basically the A to Z. The Alpha and Omega means A to Z. He who created everything is the one who redeemed it. And he promises that he will quench the spiritual thirst of anyone who asks him. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for that new creation? Are you thirsty for the time there will be no more tears? No more cancer? No more suffering, no more death, no more funerals. Are you thirsty for that? But Jesus says, come to me and I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And we see here that it's without cost. And the, problem con- the promise continues, verse 7, when he says, All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God and they will be my children. 
All those who did not give in when they were persecuted. All those who said, you can hold a gun to my head, but I will never deny Christ. All of those are now gathered with Jesus and they will inherit all his blessings. What a promise. It's, it's actually not just that they will turn up and be a part of a place that, that they're kind of visiting or that they're staying the night at or, or on an extended holiday. It actually says that we who are with Christ will inherit the blessings. It's an inheritance. We've got our name on the will. And it says heaven is yours. The new creation is yours. You're not a visitor. You are at home. And this is amazing generosity. This is amazing grace. But for all the good that is promised, there's an alternative that stands in stark contrast. Verse 8. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. See, those who stood against Jesus and against his followers will be consigned to the second death, to hell. Don't worry about the first death. That's what happens when we have funerals here. But it's the second death. That's hell. And if you have come to Christ before your first death, then you will never face the second death. You see, it's really easy for us to give up following Jesus when things get too hard. And I reckon it's often when things get too easy that we attempted to give up on following Jesus. But we need to remain faithful to Christ. We need to continue to be ones who follow Jesus and don't give up, even when things are really tough. Because Jesus says, if you reject Jesus, your fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Uh, This is not just some sort of weird medieval stuff. This is a future reality that will come to all who reject Christ. And it's serious. But not only is it a word of warning, it's also a word of comfort. Because if you do follow Jesus, there is hope for the future. But with this warning behind us, we now get a closer look at the new creation. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And what does he see? Verse 10. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Here is the new Jerusalem. And she looks beautiful. Verse 11. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The new Jerusalem is beautiful. Beyond your imagination, beyond your dreams, it is utterly mind-blowing how beautiful this is. It doesn't have the ugliness of sin anymore. It doesn't have any of the aspects of our fallen world anymore. It is true beauty. But it also carries some important history, verses 12 to 14. 
The city wall of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, was broad and high, with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south and west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now what's all this saying? It's basically saying the gates have got the old guys, the Old Testament tribes of Israel. And the wall, it's seated on foundations from the new guys, the New Testament apostles. In this building, in this whole city, we see the fulfilment of God's promises. God's promises are fulfilled in this city. We've got the old covenant. We've got the new covenant. We've got all coming together. And they are part of the very fabric of the new Jerusalem. But this is pretty mind-blowing. It's big. It's really big. Verses 15 to 16. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. And when he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Now, think about it. This city is like a giant cube. And it... Each side is over 2,000 kilometres. It's kind of like Melbourne all the way up to Brisbane and then that same height up and then that same height across. This is massive. The city is awesome. It's basically the size pretty much of the known world at the time that this was written. It fills everything. But the walls are amazing too, verses 17 and 18. Then he measured the walls and he found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. And the wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold, as clear as, gra- as glass. So 200 feet, that's what, 65 metres? It's kind of like five buses parked front to back in a row. Think about how, you know, bus one, bus two, bus three, bus four, bus... That is the width of the wall that goes for 2,000 k's. It's massive. And it's made of special stone and pure gold, and it's decorated with beautiful stones. Verses 19 to 20, here it goes. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, then agate, the, the, the emerald... Onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysophase, jacinth, and amaleth. It's all there. And the gates, verse 21, were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. That's a big oyster. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. This is extravagant wealth and beauty among, uh, beyond any imagination. You know, you see these sort of lifestyles of the rich and famous. You see some of these amazing, huge palaces and their incredible wealth and all this stuff. Bah, that's just small change compared to this. This is this wonderful beauty of, of extravagant wealth, extravagant beauty. 
And now as you're sort of imagining Jerusalem with the amazing foundation and the amazing walls, what do you expect to see in the middle of Jerusalem? Well, here's the surprise. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. Huh? No temple? Isn't that the thing about Jerusalem? No temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. See, when I think of Jerusalem, I I think of the temple. In fact, the, the classic money shot for tourists is the photo of the Temple Mount of Jerusalem, which ironically now has a gold temple in the middle that's, that's actually an Islamic temple, not a Jewish temple or a Christian temple or anything like that. But the point is, in this new Jerusalem, there's no temple at all. It's not there. There's no temple in the new Jerusalem. And that actually, when you think about it, does make sense. Because in this new heaven and new earth, God and the Lamb are its temple. You don't need to go into a temple, a building, to be in the presence of God. You don't need to do that when you're standing face to face with him. When Jesus is right there, it's kind of like, I don't need a temple to be... No, he's just there, face to face. But something else is missing that's kind of cool. And that is verse 23... And the city had no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is his light. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm the light of the world. It's like, yep, there it is. (laughs) He sure is. There's no sun. There's no moon. There's no temple building. Because all of those things, Jesus ticks those boxes He's present in all his glory and he's illuminating everything. And everybody who's there will be lit up as well. Verse 24, the nations will walk in his light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. The faithful among the nations, those Gentiles will be there in the new Jerusalem. They will be there with their kings and all of them will walk by the light of Jesus. This is a beautiful picture. And when they are there with all that wealth, you'd think how many security guards would be necessary for all that kind of wealth? I I heard a story a little while ago about a very famous person who was given a massive big Tiffany diamond to wear around her neck at one of those award nights. And she was followed around the entire night by security guards. She couldn't go anywhere. It, and, and in fact, she forgot about it. She was driving home and then they pulled her up and said, yeah, you've got to give us back the, the rock. You know, That kind of security just for one little rock. Well, it was one really big rock. But that's just like a, a, little, a little pebble that you'd kick along the ground when you see the wealth and the glory and the amazing things here of Jerusalem. <laughs> But the greatest thing of all is the light of Jesus shining there. But you see, there's no need for this security because the gates will never be locked at the end of the day. Why? Because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honour into the city. And nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In the city of God, there is nothing impure, 
Imagine that. Imagine everybody who you were standing there with was completely pure, completely sinless. They did not steal. They did not lie. They did not hate. All of those other things of slander and lust, and you name them, they've got none of them. And so you don't need to lock the doors. You don't need to worry about the fear of night and walking in the dark because there's none of that either. There is nothing impure in the city of God. This is the picture of what we know is coming if we trust in Jesus. This is beyond your wildest dreams. And here it is. But there's more. Because now in chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, we see that then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the centre of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Right now, the river of life is there and it flows from God and Jesus. And it goes right down the middle of this new creation. And we see trees of life bringing fruit and bringing healing. When you think of the tree of life, can you think of a, a famous tree in the life of the history of God's people? be right at the other end of the Bible, wouldn't it? Right at the start, at Genesis. Well, Genesis chapter 2, we read, The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Trees of life, we now see in heaven. But no trees of the knowledge of good and evil because, well, last time we had one of those, it didn't go so well. What happened? Chapter 3, verse 6 of Genesis. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. That's over now. Jesus has dealt with that. And praise God, there's not a need for a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because they are there with Jesus. They are there with the Lamb and they have the tree of life. Sin and death is no more. Praise the Lord. Trees bring life and no more potential for death or sin. See, when Jesus said that he was making all things new, this was included as well. For at this time, the curse of the knowledge of true, of good and evil is no more. Verse 3 and 4. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. This new tree, there's no cursing around with it. And the God and Lamb will be in the city, and the servants of the Lamb will worship the Lamb. We will see Jesus face to face. Ever wondered exactly what his face looked like? It's interesting that there's, there's no record of his actual looks. Um, that's a good thing, because I think we'd have pictures everywhere, we'd bow down to them, and that'd be a bad idea. 
But you can do that when you're in the new creation in the new Jerusalem because you see him face to face. You look full in his wonderful face. It's almost impossible to comprehend, isn't it? That is what it will be like. And he will remove the darkness of light. Verse 5. There will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. We will reign with Jesus forever and ever. This is a powerful, amazing picture of what is coming really, really soon. And it's really, really true. It's not like kind of one of those dreams that you wake up in the morning thinking, oh, well, that was just a dream. It'll never happen. This is a dream that when you experience it, you will not wake up from. Verse 6, the angel said to me, everything you have seen and heard is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. This is fair dinkum. This is 100% certain. We need to believe it and not doubt it. And we need to particularly do that because time is running out. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. You want to be blessed by Jesus? Obey these words in the book of Revelation. Because he's coming soon. And it says it in verse 12 as well. And in verse 20. Jesus is coming soon. When's he coming? Is it tonight? Or is it in a thousand years time? Or 10,000 years time? Or next week? Next month? We don't know. But he says he's coming soon. But even though we hear this, and even though it is on such a high, high kind of um, beautiful picture, this positive tone, then there still needs to be a fresh reminder in this last chapter. Because we read in verse 10, Then he instructed me, Do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. We are called by Christ to continue to live righteously. We've got to hang in there, even though we can be attacked. And even though we can be distracted, there are so many things that will help you lose this vision of eternity. But don't do it. Because Jesus says this in verse 22, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is coming soon, Jesus says. And he, and he says it again, I am coming soon. Don't forget, I am coming soon. And he's bringing justice. But there's a blessing to all who remain true to Christ. Verse 14, he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. This promised city is our future home and it is worth hanging in there. 
when things are hard, keep your eyes on Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. When things are difficult, when you are lonely, when you are sad, when you are grieving, when you are angry, when you are mad, keep your eyes on the new Jerusalem. But with this comes a warning to those who reject Jesus. It says, verse 15, outside this city of Jerusalem are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all those who love to live a lie. We long to gather with Christ inside these city walls, and we can do that because of the one who was cursed for us outside the first city walls of Jerusalem. And so the invitation is there, verse 17, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Friends, come. Come. Come if you're thirsty. Come if you're heavy laden. Come to Jesus and he will refresh you. And he will sustain you with living waters. And this is not just for the future. This is for the present. Come. That's why this message is so important to our world. We need the clear word of God and we've got to keep it pure. That's why there's a warning right here at the end of Revelation. It says, I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what's written here in Revelation, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. There's a pretty big warning there that says, don't muck with the word of God. We can do that in all sorts of ways, can't we? You can blatantly disobey it. We can just ignore little bits. But the point is, we need to solemnly hear the word of God and believe it. And most importantly, the word tonight is this. I am coming soon. Yes. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And it finishes by saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. See, when you see things like they are in Revelation, you want to say, come, Lord Jesus. Everything in this earth, every material possession is rubbish. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus. And when life is just bitterly hard, for whatever reason, we cry, come, Lord Jesus. Because the time is coming when every tear will be wiped away. Do you believe that? Do you hunger for it? It's coming soon. Let's pray. Oh, loving Father, we are so thankful for this dream that you have given us that we know is a certain reality for those who trust in Jesus. We are so thankful that you have given us this certain vision of the future and we long for that day when jesus returns come soon jesus we pray come soon and bring an end to the persecution to the suffering to the cancer to the tears to the brokenheartedness to our sin to our flesh to the devil 
We pray, Father, that you would send Jesus soon. Jesus, please, we pray in the power of your Holy Spirit, come soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.